0: Welcome to Let's Connect. My name is Keith McPherson, and I'm so glad you've decided to join me for this next episode. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by an incredible school teacher named Carla Duick Thiessen. Carla wrote a book called It Starts With a Breath, and she's here to speak more about her book release and also her work as a Reiki master in the field of Reiki healing. So sit back, relax, and Let's Connect. Hi everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Let's Connect. I'm feeling so relaxed as I'm here back in my hometown of Winnipeg. I had just spent the last week out at one of my favorite places on the planet, besides Maui, Hawaii that is. I was at a little cabin in the woods out by Lake of the Woods, Ontario. And uh, it's just one of those places that are so serene and tranquil and quiet and just feel so balanced out there. It's a journey to get there, um, you have to take two boats two across two separate lakes to get to this little cabin in the woods, but uh, I took the trek and it was incredible being there. Um, limited internet access, my phone wasn't able to ring every day, it was just so peaceful to be there and as the week went on I felt myself gradually becoming more and more relaxed And uh, I knew it was happening because one night I found myself kayaking on the lake at about 8 p.m. And I looked over and there was a loon swimming alongside my kayak. And all of a sudden the loon started singing. It was like this Canadian sound, this anthem of a loon singing. And I looked over and I I sang back to it and tried to, to mimic the sound of the loon. And uh, then it sang back to me. And before too long, we were like in conversation with each other in this beautiful kind of song-like loon sound. <laughs> it was amazing. And uh, it was almost like we were in a duet together or something. So um, I just, I got thinking about that when I got back to the cabin and thinking, wow, that was, that was miraculous to be in concert on a lake in the middle of nowhere with this beautiful, beautiful, Being this beautiful bird that was singing with me and uh, it reminded me how connected we all are you know we really are all connected and everything is so connected and when we're paying attention in the present moment everything is alive aware and responsive. You know, I think so often our brains are so busy wandering and meandering and worrying and, and through full of anxiety, we often forget to just come back to the present moment. And, you know, it's times like being at the cabin that I'm deeply made aware of how important it is to, to come back into balance and to breathe and to rejuvenate. So speaking of that theme, it's, it's perfect timing today that we have our guest on. Carla Duke Thiessen is here, and she's the author of a new book called It Starts With a Breath a book about mindful breathing. So Carla's going to speak today about uh, her experiences being a classroom teacher, uh, integrating mindfulness into her classroom. And uh, beyond that, Carla also does some amazing work as a Reiki practitioner. And if you're unfamiliar with the practice of Reiki, it's an incredible healing system that uh, I'm also well aware of. I I spend a lot of time offering Reiki sessions to to clients, and it's... um, it's really a beautiful practice as well. So I'm excited for you to, to learn more about what that all means too. <laughs> so uh, without further ado, I'm going to introduce our guest and see you at the end of the conversation here on Let's Connect. Uh, please meet Carla Duick Thiessen. Well, I'm really excited to welcome you here onto the podcast, Carla, on Let's Connect. Thanks for being here today.
1: I'm happy to be here and thank you for inviting me to talk about mindfulness and my book I wrote with my students and John Reiki.
0: I love this book. I've been uh, reading it every so often. It sits on my coffee table at home and it's called It Starts With a Breath, a book about mindful breathing. And uh, it's so simple but profound, the, the practice of mindfulness and having these reminders around my house has been so helpful. I, um, I'm curious, how did you come across mindfulness practice in your own life?
1: Well, when I was a child, as a student, I struggled with inattention. And I was one of those kids that was always daydreaming. I wasn't misbehaving, but I was distracted and missing a lot of the instruction. And uh, then as I became a, te- a teenager, um, the stress and anxiety that came with that and me not being as successful in school as I, I tried to be was really hard. And so I would get tutors and I would do lots of homework. But then as soon as the test came around, my mind would go blank and I would panic. and um, I would just be so overwhelmed and, and I felt like it was so debilitating. And then one day I was listening to CBC television and I saw an interview with Kurt Browning and he was a figure skater and he had repeatedly tried to do the quad during competition. He could always do it during practice, but during competition, you know, his mind would go blank. He would seize up. He couldn't do what he knew how to do. And um, finally, he he sought some help on how to kind of some sports psychology help to get his emotions, get his thoughts on track. And so finally at the 1988 World Olympics, Uh, or World Figure Skating Championship, he landed it. And he shared about how the practice of breathing and visualization and cognitive strategies helped him in that moment to achieve his dream. And he was basically talking about mindfulness. And so a light bulb went off in my mind. It's like, oh, I don't have to be at the mercy of my fears and my anxieties. There are strategies to learn to manage them and help me accomplish my goals. So that was transforming in my life.
0: Wow, that's incredible. I uh, I mean, the practice of mindfulness to me, I, I often refer to Susan Kaiser Greenland, who is a children's author of mindfulness. Are you familiar with her by chance? Yeah. yeah, she like talks about it being paying attention in the present moment with kindness to yourself, other people and the world around you. And uh, That's right. I just totally hear you in this part about just dealing with the anxiety and stress, and it's just one of the best ways to combat that. Um, I know as well, part of your background, you've been teaching for over 25 years as a, a classroom teacher, uh, teaching kindergarten and grade one currently, it says on your book. And I'm just curious, like when did you realize that mindfulness was an important part of teaching in the classroom?
1: Well, as part of teaching teacher training, um, we have to learn how to provide a sense of stability and safety and security for our students. And so it's really important to be intentional and mindful about the choices that you make. And so as teachers, we, we plan, we set objectives, we ask questions, we reflect, we evaluate, and then we give feedback. And all of these require mindfulness to be effective. And so when I first started teaching, I just tried to pack way too much in. And um, my kids were so busy, and I was so frazzled, I'd be sweating by the end of the day. And uh, over time, I learned that more is less. And sorry, over time, I learned that less is more. And uh, you, you need to have... That when you're teaching with intention to be more present in my interactions with students, um, I notice more subtleties when I make time to be mindful, and I can attend to their needs. For and when I'm relaxed and calm, my students are relaxed and calm. So it's powerful in the classroom setting.
0: Wow! I, I just I heard a recently a statistic by Dr. Greg Wells. He was uh, sharing a stage with me at a talk, and he said that the average. Child these days receives more information in one week than their great great grandparents did in a lifetime. I couldn't believe. That's so true. Yeah, yeah I, I,
1: overstimulated.
0: Yeah, do you, I mean, as a teacher, just on a side note, like, what at that age of, of kindergarten grade one? I mean, do you see it there happening at that age?
1: For sure. Yep. Kids kids have um, lots of issues they're dealing with at home and they're busy in so many activities and daycare and they're getting up early early and they're not getting home for supper till late and and you know families have kind of lost that connection around the dinner table and they pick up fast food before they go to the next activity and they're spending a lot of their day in the car or you know at a, at a activity. and so you know there isn't that space to just run outside and play and explore and and to have that freedom Wow. Of, creativity and expression
0: yeah i think it's just so amazing that you as a teacher are integrating this practice that might get overlooked otherwise by a child in their life because they're running from one activity to the next so to integrate this into the school day must be quite quite profound for sure um i'm curious like some of the benefits that you've experienced as a teacher around this practice of mindfulness like what are some of those
1: you know, it's a challenge to meet the diverse needs of my students, because many of them do struggle to regulate um, and manage their behaviors and their emotions, and um, they don't always do things that are acceptable, and they disrupt their learning and the learning of others, and, and that makes it difficult to establish meaningful connection and, and flow in the classroom. And a lot of the students struggle with attention and learning and impulse control, and, um, many of them also struggle with anxiety. I have, you know, three, four-year-olds who have separation anxiety when their parents leave, and that's completely normal for their age. But then I also have kids that come to school hungry or kids that parents are fighting and, and are getting a divorce and, you know, that they pick up on what's going on in their house and that's hard for them to manage. And they don't have the vocabulary at that age to know how to talk about it and how to ask for help. And so, um, a growing body of research, from uh, including the work of the Harvard University Center for the Developing Child, has found that toxic stress really impedes a child's healthy development. And it literally changes the structure in their brains that affect their capacity to learn. Wow. And also the psychology um Foundation of Canada reports that there's a 45% increase over the past 30 years in the amount of stress that children experience. And I think that harkens back to what you were saying about the amount of information that kids are getting, like their, their Mm. brains are getting overloaded and my students may be small, but they have huge emotions that really overwhelm them. And so it's my job as a teacher to help them succeed um, and give them tools so that they can manage these things. And so the practices of mindfulness that we have incorporated into the class uh, have really helped them to manage their anxiety and self-regulate their behaviors more consistently.
0: Wow, that's so interesting. I'm just curious on a side note, like um, I don't want to put you too on the spot here, but just in regards to like, what does mindfulness look like in the classroom? Like, Do you take them through formal... Uh, practices or is it something that just a way of like showing up as a teacher, how you're being like, how does, how does it actually look?
1: Yeah, no, we definitely have um, lots of formal um, strategies that we do. And we practice what we call um, mindful Monday.
0: Hmm. And
1: um, like I've been intentionally incorporating mindfulness and mindful practices in my classroom for about this last six years. Wow. And it has totally transformed my classroom. Um, It's created a space to cultivate positive emotions and research shows that when kids are mindful and have these skills, then it increases their ability to love and have compassion and kindness and generosity and connect with others. And so in my class, we start every Monday with what I call um, Mindful Monday, and I teach them a specific skill or breath strategy, and then we practice that throughout the week. And this builds their uh, vocabulary, their awareness, um, and their capacity to engage in these concepts. Wow. And so, yeah, it's a powerful tool. Even at that age of three and four, like you can grow their stamina, you know, start small with just like a minute or two. And by the end of the year, they can do 20, 30 minutes of these kind of activities. And it's quite really? quite amazing. A lot of adults can't do that because they just haven't practiced.
0: <laughs> it's so true. I like sometimes lead corporations through mindfulness practice and like their attention span is less than a minute. I'll say, <laughs> close your eyes. And they're like, why are we closing our eyes? <laughs> you know, it almost know. feels... Like I'm teaching, like
1: forever, (laughs) yeah. It feels like I'm
0: teaching kindergarten, but to adults, it's funny, yeah.
1: But mindfulness can be cultivated and strengthened over time, and it's through that daily practice that they build their stamina and they enjoy what they're learning and they like sharing it with others. And, um, you know, it typically involves having an anchor and uh, something that can focus their attention. So, I often use tools like um, teddy bears or bubble wands. Or, um, wow, sensory things and, um, yeah, squishy balls. There's lots of little toys and tools we can use to help focus their attention.
0: Yeah, this whole idea of anchoring is so powerful. I mean, um, this idea of keeping your attention in one place versus. You know, the shiny object or you know, the scattered mind that wants to go everywhere. It's just like to to zero in on that one particular like you say, yeah. toy or the the breath. I mean the title of your book, it starts with a breath, just to to watch the breath. That that can be a real tall order even for adults as you're saying. So Yeah. It's incredible. But we
1: carry it with us so it you know, it's easy to tap into our breath.
0: Absolutely absolutely. It's like a built in anchor system that we have, which is kind of cool. I'm I'm curious. Uh, your students do they have a favorite um, mindfulness? Like, do they they're like Miss Eason? I want you to, I want you to do this, or Miss Carl? I want you to do this particular activity. Um,
1: yeah. But- so um, we have what's called five star breathing, and so they hold out their hand and they trace their finger. Okay. And they start at the base of the wrist by the thumb, and they trace it up, and they breathe in. And they trace the thumb down and they breathe out. And then they trace the pointer finger in and breathe in. And they trace the pointer finger down. They breathe out and they continue that with all the fingers breathing in, breathing out.
0: That's great. Breathing
1: in, breathing out. And they just um, love that visual kind of reconnection. And it's so tactile and so visual that it's, it's easy for them to do. And it's, if they're successful at it, like it, they notice how it helps them.
0: Wow. I love down. that. This is just for anyone listening right now, just to put your palm out and to try this out where you trace your pointer finger along uh, the five stars of your, your hand and just breathe. Wow. Is that ever effective? Cause it's like, what I love about this is it's like very tangible. You feel it, but you also are connecting your breath to your, your body as well. That's brilliant. Yeah. No wonder they love that one. That's fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious from you too, like we haven't even gotten into this part, but mindfulness, the word mindfulness, it's like, it's such a buzzword in our, our culture and I've heard it defined so many different ways. And I'm curious just from your perspective, what what is your definition of mindfulness?
1: Yeah, it's focusing on the present moment. Um and tuning in to your feelings your thoughts your body sensations and most importantly without judgment you're not saying oh that's bad that i'm feeling that way or that's good i'm feeling that way it's just you're just being with whatever you're feeling you're saying hello to it i tell my kids and you just sit with it for a little bit because um there's no feelings that are are um bad they're all okay Mm -hmm. and it's normal and adults have these feelings too. And, and, you know, when we push them under and ignore them, that's when we get problems in our life and illness in our life. And when we give attention to them and, and listen to the messages that we can get from, from being curious about how we're feeling, Mm -hmm. that's when we truly learn and, and our heart opens up.
0: Oh, I love that. What you're saying, especially about allowing our feelings to be exactly as they need to be without judgment. I think that's such a, a challenging practice in this day and age, where so many of us just bottle up things like "don't cry" or "don't don't feel angry" because you're not allowed to or you're yeah. not you're not supposed to. And so to allow exactly. that, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, and mindfulness is such an essential part of our health and well being. And research shows that students who learn these fundamental skills of in it of intention. Attention and attitude. Um, is a strong indicator of success. Mm. So it's like a superpower for your brain. And when you build skills for self-awareness and emotional literacy and self-regulation and acceptance and tolerable uh, and focus, then kids become flexible thinkers and and they're able to cope with what comes their way in life.
0: Wow, that's I love it. There, you know, I'm thinking about if I was in the shoes of a teacher or even a parent with children and I, I wanted to like... Integrate mindfulness into their lives. I mean, that's that sounds like it could be challenging if I'm not really aware of like what what mindfulness is all about, or if I don't have a personal practice and. I often find too, just when I do speak with many teachers, not yourself, you're very much attuned to it, but I think a lot of teachers are apprehensive about bringing mindfulness into the classroom because they don't actually know exactly what it is or how to to teach that. And I'm curious how a teacher or parent could begin integrating this practice into their children's lives.
1: Well, and we've kind of grown up where I grew up with this idea that mindfulness was about emptying your mind. And that's not all at all what it's about. And so, you know, I always tell my parents or other teachers that if there's a student with a challenging behavior, it's as a result of an unmet need or a lack of skill. And the same is true of us adults. Like if we're struggling with a particular issue in our life, um, learning mindfulness can help bring attention uh, to those and help bring a shift. And so the most important thing I would suggest for, for parents and other teachers is just make time for reflection. Like as teachers, we're trained to build that into all of our lessons. You know, at the end of a lesson, I sit down and I, I review it and I say, okay, how, does, how did that go? How, do, how can it work better? And I used to teach, you know, a morning class and an afternoon class of nursery kindergarten. And I loved that because I could do the lesson and learn from it. And then I could do it even better in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. And uh, that helped build my skills um, so much faster than, you know, if I just had one class at a time. And as parents, I know that we're often tired and busy and it's hard to make time for meaningful reflection. Mm -hmm. And so as I was talking about before with me trying to pack so much in, um, you know, it's your pace. Try to slow things down. Try not to pack your day too full. And also structure is important to help kids be successful. So predictable routines are so important. Having a consistent wake-up time, bedtime, meal time, that helps kids feel safe and secure. And it just creates opportunities for mindfulness throughout the day. Mm. And then but transition times are so important too like um, children's brains are processing information slower than we do so a lot of times we'll give a child an instruction and then get irritated when they don't immediately do what we ask but if you just wait a little bit longer t- for their brains to process it they'll often do it they're happy to to please you and and do what you've asked but we need to create more space for them to do that mm. and then um five minute transition time more. not reminders are really important in my class. If it's going to be cleanup time while they're playing is really jarring for them to be pulled from their play because they are in such an imaginative space. And so if you can say, okay, in five minutes, we're going to have snack time or in five minutes, we're going to go play outside like that will help them ease their anxiety about what's coming and, and um, just create a sense of calmness in, in their activities. Wow. And then for parents too, and teachers, Um, self-care is so important because if you're in a calm space, then the people around you will more likely be in a calm space. And, and we also, if we're in a calm kind of mindful space, we can regulate and manage our emotions. And so then we're not reacting out of a place of anger, but we're uh, reacting to things out of a a place of peace. Hmm. And then, the most important thing I say for parents and teachers is provide opportunities for connection. And so in my class, one way we do that is we start every morning with a welcome song, and we end every um, day with a goodbye song. And um, it's just a really neat, mindful way of including all the kids by singing their names and making them feel like you know, I, it was important that I was here and my teacher's sad to see me go and she'll be happy when I'm back tomorrow. And when kids know that they are seen and heard and loved, um, you know, they can handle a lot. And we've been through a lot this last few months with the global pandemic. Mm-hmm. And... Um, You know, there's a lot of things are constantly changing. School hasn't been the same. Online learning has been, you know, really challenging for everybody, Mm. teachers, parents, and kids included. And so um, making time for connection by reading, playing board games. And then the most important is just go outside, be in nature, feel the grass under your feet and smell the fresh air and listen to the birds. And, um, you know, it just helps them to connect to what's going on inside them and helps them be more mindful. And, um, you know, with my own teenagers, I noticed that they weren't getting along very well. And so I decided that the best way I could help them to nurture their relationship was just to send them on a sibling date. And so I give them some money and I say, go have fun. And it has really improved their relationship. And I would say that they're friends now. And so just Noticing the little dynamics, the subtle dynamics that are going on if you know one sibling is bullying another, mm-hmm. um, if, if you're mindful of those dynamics going on, there are things that you can do to change them if you take the time to reflect and, and kind of think, okay, what can we do to make our family stronger?
0: Wow, there is so much in there that you just shared. But just on a, a side note, the sibling date idea is amazing. D- did they actually tell you where they were going? Or did you hear anything about the date? Or did they yeah, keep it under? Yeah, they've the...
1: gone, like, they do it every week. Oh, they do? Yeah.
0: That's incredible. And, yeah. like, what kind of things do, do they end up doing?
1: Um, well, they've gone to Dairy Queen when pre-COVID, uh, <laughs> they went to movies, and they've gone wow. out for dinner, and, and uh, yeah. It's ever just, great enjoy being together.
0: I feel like as an adult, I want to incorporate sibling dates into my life with my (laughs) brothers because I don't get to see them as much as I'd love to now. And that just triggered that for me. that's
1: part of being intentional and you know, cultivating those relationships and making time. Yeah,
0: it's it's important. This practice is so all-encompassing in so many ways because I'm hearing you speak about, like just in what you were saying, so many different dynamics involved of the, like wanting to be seen and to be seen. I mean, that in itself is just so powerful. I There's an old African greeting that I was taught where two people look in each other's eyes and they, they look deeply into the eyes beyond all the stuff that separates us. And one person says, I want to be seen. And the other person looks. And once they actually kind of see underneath all the noise, they, and I see you. And then they re- reverse it. I want to be seen and I see you. And this idea of the song at the beginning and end of the day that you incorporate into your class is amazing. Yeah. And it, it incorporates the kids' names too, you said.
1: Yeah. Is it always the
0: same song or is it different?
1: We have a few different ones that we do, but it's, you know, if we forget, it's a big deal. They make sure we, we do it every day. The other message that's really important, I think, to tell kids that, you know, it's okay to make mistakes and that you are enough, you know, Hmm. whether you have screwed up, we'll start again. You are enough and it's okay.
0: I, I have that written up on my wall, you are enough and it's okay to fail because I think it's a, a long, lifelong message too, what you're saying there. And wow, well, I want to be- that's how we learn. I want to be like a fly we, on the wall in your classroom. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we don't learn if we don't fail. It's, it's through the trials and, and the tribulations in our life that we gain our understanding of the world around us. So, you know, failure is an important part of life. Wow. Embrace it.
0: What a great message to be sharing with your students. That's incredible. I uh, speaking of messages with your students. I mean this back to this book that you've written. Um, I love it. It incorporates if if you haven't read this book yet, it starts with a breath, a book about mindful breathing. Um, there's just some some great pictures in here and um, very simple but so essential pieces around mindfulness. I'm curious, like how did this book and project come about?
1: So as part of teaching mindfulness to the class, we learn about how to tame our emotional brain and we learn about our three parts of our brain. And we learn how, you know, when things happen in our emotional brain that take over, it kind of creates this false alarm that we're uh, in trouble and the dinosaur is chasing us and it's going to eat us. And Mm -hmm. even though he's really not. And so it's teaching our kids about flight and fight and how to be aware of, of when they're in a stress state and, um, I train them how to how to calm their brain um, and make better choices, and and so mindfulness gives us this choice and the freedom to choose how we respond instead of just kind of reacting reacting from a a primal kind of uh, arousal. And so, um, some of the ways we train our brain in my class is by breathing intentionally, and uh, we breathe like twenty three. 100 or 23,000 times a day. That's like a lot of breaths that we all take. And kids even breathe faster than than adults do. Wow. And much of our breathing is autonomic and shallow. And when we're under pressure and we're thinking stressful thoughts, then we our breath becomes really short and we inhale longer and we exhale and we become more tense and our heart starts pumping and our face gets red. and and um, But when we're calm, our breath becomes slow and regulated and we actually exhale longer than we inhale. And that's because the breath stimuli, stimulates the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve is what communicates the motor and sensory impulses to every organ on our body and our central nervous system. And so the vagus nerve is listening to the way we breathe and it sends the brain and heart, whatever message our brain, our breath indicates So when we breathe rapidly, then our body gets ready to fight or flight or flee. And when we breathe slowly, then our body's demand for oxygen reduces and our heart rate drops and we just relax. And so practicing mindful breathing is a really simple and practical uh, life skill that will calm our nervous system. And so when you do that, it helps the kids with self-regulation and attention and positive well-being and so my friend my students have benefited a lot from these skills and they really want to share it with others and so um we were asked to present at assembly something that we were learning and so i wrote just a little poem and i took a picture of the kids acting out the poem and i put it up on uh, powerpoint and and uh, that's how the book started and then um I thought, well, why don't we were learning about trees and paper as part of the curriculum. And I thought, well, why don't we learn how a book is made and we'll actually make a little book for each kid as kind of a year end gift for the celebration of our learning. And so we made 50 copies and and each kid got one and their grandparents got one. And uh, but then the response was from that was overwhelming, and suddenly other teachers wanted them, and clinicians wanted them, and friends wanted them. So wow. then I printed another 500 last fall, wow. and uh, so we were on the bestseller list at McNally. So that was really really fun. And there's just like a few copies left in bookstores. I I have one is mine and that's all I have left on my shelf and um then when I I knew everything was shutting down to COVID and kids weren't at school anymore I just I could sense how you know everyone's anxiety levels were rising and um there was just so much uncertainty. And I thought, you know, I got to share this message about mindfulness with more people. And so I just made a, a read aloud book and posted it on YouTube. And so that people all around the world could hear that message about how it starts with the breath That's how you can wow. kind of recenter and, and find peace and calm just through your breath.
0: Wow, that is amazing. It's amazing that this idea of a book started from a school assembly or like a little project in your classroom and it's exploded to reach so many more hundreds of people at this point. Um, Magical things happen in school, I I find. I just, I'm taken back to being in the seventh grade and I mean, becoming a, a musician for the first part of my life and still playing. That all started from a a French project that I was failing in grade seven and I went to my teacher in tears. I was like, can I do something to get my grade up? And Uh. the next thing I knew I was in the school gymnasium at a school assembly playing, playing the cat came back uh, and singing a song (laughs) in French and Ah, uh, one thing led to the next. I was like, "This is what I want to do for a you career." Want to be
1: on the stage. That's yeah. amazing.
0: <laughs> but it's just like incredible the the power that comes from education and being in the school system and these projects that come out of there are just so brilliant. You know, meeting teachers that um, help their students learn how to make recordings or how to paint or you know, it's amazing. It's like the um, incubation period for these genius the creativity. minds. Creativity. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's so exciting. Wow. I love it. I, um, I want to encourage people to get this book and I'll, I'll put a a link in the the show notes to, uh, the details of all that. But I want to switch gears a little bit because beyond the teaching and the mindfulness work that you do, I, I also have come to know that you're a a Reiki practitioner. And, um, I'm imagining some listeners may have heard of Reiki, but a lot of them may not know what Reiki is. And, uh, I'm well familiar with it as I also am a Reiki practitioner, but an incredible healing system that you use. And I'm just curious your your backstory about how you got into Reiki.
1: Well, and I have to say that this book would never have come about without me getting involved into Reiki because Reiki has totally transformed my life in the way that I see the world. And it's it's just sparked this creativity in me that I just never really made time for. And so um, it's been really neat. But originally, like I had so many um, concussions and head injuries when I was a child. And then as an adult, I've had a lot of whiplash uh, and concussions from car accidents. And so these injuries left me in chronic pain. And um, it was really debilitating. And the side effects from traditional Western medicine uh, just left me feeling rotten. And so I turned to more holistic modalities. And I I noticed that when I set aside time to be cared for by these alternative practitioners, the more I felt the healing energy flowing through my body, like I would actually feel waves of this soothing rhythm, and I would feel heat, and I would feel these tingles. And um, it was... Just an amazing sensation. And also Reiki helped me shift emotional uh, issues that I had or when I felt stuck, I could be led to kind of spiritual clarity through that. And um, so... I actually had uh, a neat experience where I had injured my hand and I was um, at a hand physiotherapist and they had dipped my hand in wax and wrapped it in oven mitts and put heating pads on it. And then the protect, pr- practitioner left the room. And I had always kind of assumed that this healing energy was connected to the practitioner themselves. But as I sat in that room by myself, I felt that energy flowing through me without anyone in the room. And I'm like, oh. This isn't like their gift. This is something for everyone that everyone can experience. Wow. And, and so I kind of started looking around for like, what do you call this energy? So I always had this like really, um, like I could just sense energy really acutely. And and I just didn't know kind of what this energy was. And so I started researching it and and Reiki kind of summed up. Um, the best and uh, Reiki is referred to as energy healing, and it's a Japanese healing technique that uses light touch to activate the natural healing processes, and it restores your physical and emotional well-being. And so, I just found it; it, um, it has made um, like promoted balance and harmony in my life, and and I just feel so much more healthy. And uh, actually, there's over four Hundred thousand Reiki practitioners all over the world, and um, there's about eight hundred hospitals in North America that are offering Reiki as an alternative method of healing, and it's shown to help side effects with chemo treatments and with you know mental illness, and so um, you know I just learned about Reiki and thought, you know, I'm gonna try it for myself. And so I took the level one where it's about kind of learning how to heal yourself. Mm-hmm. And um um I just I just learned that, you know, when we're when we experience physical or emotional uh trauma, our bodies are thrown off balance. And our body literally and fidu- figuratively forms scar tissue that helps protect ourselves from pain. And our energy is often um our thought patterns, like they become stuck and we can't function well. And I think it happens on a cellular level that this energy gets stuck inside of us. And so we need to heal that energy. Like when I had my car accident, I actually felt that wave of energy come through my body and as a, as it at, at the impact. And During
0: the accident.
1: Like, yeah. And I felt beat up inside. Like it felt like someone had sucker punched my gut because that, you know, that energy and they've scientifically recorded that there is energy around us um,
0: so when there's
1: an accident that, that transfers from one source to another. So and during, even
0: just for a second, so during the accident, you felt the energy like leave your body or it came into your I body? I felt like
1: I felt the energy from the, from the impact enter and leave from the impact. Yeah. Wow. And even our bodies like, um, you know, we can, we have enough energy. We are electrical energy beings and we have enough current in our bodies that we could actually power a a light bulb if we were to be (laughs) hooked up so you know it makes it made a lot of sense to me that you know if we are energy beings that if we have trauma that energy can get stuck Mm. and so reiki is about helping and get us unstuck and help that um that flow and the word reiki is made up of two Japanese words and rei means universal or God's wisdom and ki means your life force energy. So combined that reiki means your spiritually guided life force energy. And it's not a a system of religious beliefs. It's just a relaxing treatment where we have our, our natural healing vibrations and our bodies are meant to heal themselves. Like if you get a cut and a bruise, you know, our, our, our blood flows and our blood clots and it, it does what it needs to do. And so when we're in balance, our body can, you know, be balanced and healthy, but when we're out of balance, then our body has a hard time staying well.
0: Wow. That's such an amazing system. I mean, just giving um, Reiki treatments and receiving Reiki treatments myself, I can also attest to just the power of um, working with the energy fields and, it's amazing giving a Reiki treatment as a practitioner. It's like the energy almost feels like it channels through you. Like if there's, there's nothing more you're doing than just laying your hands on somebody or sometimes not even on the body, like just above the body in what they might call the auric field and just holding that intention of love. And, and it's just amazing the the healing power that that has, um, This is just a side note, but I'm curious if you ever get clients that come for sessions and they they doubt it or they kind of just are not into it. Does that ever happen to you? Yeah,
1: some of them are skeptical. Uh They kind of feel like... Well, they have almost like this performance anxiety of, you know, what if I don't feel something? And I just actually taught a, a Reiki uh, two course yesterday and and some of my students were feeling like that. And I said, you know what? It just takes practice and it's about believing and, and your energy will strengthen as you become bolder mm-hmm. and, uh, you know what you think you are. And so.
0: <laughs> yeah. You are what you <laughs> <it's>, think about. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Incredible. so I got
1: my master Reiki training last summer with William Lee Rand and that really helped um, me become more in tune with that energy. And now I, I can teach others. And I find that when I'm giving Reiki treatments, like what you were saying, the energy flowing through you, like it's just as healing for me as it is for my clients. Like I, I leave every session that I do feeling energized and and light and it's just a beautiful gift
0: can anybody give or receive reiki is there any like I, people that are listening might be curious about the process of how do you how do you learn how to get into this
1: yeah well anyone can can receive it um you need to be trained how to give it and um there's lots of reiki organizations that you can get your level one your level two and then there's an advanced and a master level two that you can you can get. But yeah. yeah, anyone, anyone has this ability because we all have energy flowing through us. So once you learn how to tap into that,
0: mm-hmm. you,
1: uh, you can help heal others.
0: Yeah. It's like the unseen level of healing. It's like, it's uh, it feels like it goes deeper than the conscious thinking mind. When you do this work, it just, there's something energetic, like you say, and it's so powerful. I, you know, back to just thinking about mindfulness and Reiki, I'm curious if they work together. Or do they?
1: For sure. Yeah. Reiki is a form of mindful meditation. And so it's a tool to help connect with our conscious self and become aware of the subtle energies and our unconscious thoughts. Mm. And it's a it's a contemplative practice that connects us with the sacred energy in all of us and in the world that we live. And the contemplative practices of mindfulness and meditation have their roots in Buddhism and Judaism and Hinduism and mm. Christianity and Islam and Aboriginal spirituality aboriginal spirituality so you know it's it's ancient it's not a new idea that that we have energy and and that uh, our bodies can can heal um one of my favorite quotes is by an american priest uh, theologian and author matthew fox Oh yeah. and he writes deep down each one of us is a mystic and when we tap into that energy we become alive again and we give birth and from that creativity we really from that creativity that we release is born a prophetic vision and work that we all aspire to realize as our gift to the world. We want to serve in whatever capacity we can and getting in touch with that mystic inside is the beginning of our deep service. Wow. And I think, you know, that's the true message of, of why we are here on earth is to, to love others and to be of service to others.
0: Wow. Amazing. I, I can just sense, too, that this must affect you in the classroom as a teacher showing up, too, just holding that intention of loving kindness everywhere you go. Incredible. I, uh, I'm i so inspired by you. I, I'm inspired by your story. And the fact that you're doing such incredible work between teaching and publishing books on mindfulness and offering Reiki training and sessions for people, I mean, it's quite a, an incredible Offering that you you give to the world here, Carla. It's amazing. I'm curious what's next on your bucket list.
1: (laughs) Well, I um, just partnered with a company called Amoeba. They're a Winnipeg owned company. Oh, yeah. And they live stream videos and uh, TV shows and cartoons and music videos for kids. So they recently. Yeah, for kids. So they recently launched a series of read-along books. And uh, so they did a series with Sandra Horton, and they're going to be doing my book in the fall. So that's very exciting. That's great. And then at the moment, I'm out of books and more people want them. So I'm going to be doing a fourth edition in fall. Uh, and unfortunately, my printer went out of business to the person that would print up the books for me. So I'm back to square one, kind <laughs> oh, of geez. researching the best way to go about it. If anyone and listening then...
0: <laughs> has contacts to a publisher for Carla, just uh, reach okay. out to her. <laughs>
1: a reasonably priced publisher. Yeah. yeah and then uh, also, I've had a couple teachers reach out to me and want to partner with me to do a French translation here in uh, Winnipeg, and then from Mexico, a Spanish translation edition. Ah. So that's exciting. And that would be a free resource for people. And then also, you know, I'm a, I'm a lesson planner at heart. I love researching and supporting others. And so I'm a companion, a companion guide uh, for parents and teachers to go along with the book. So there'll be little exercises. And actually, at the end of this book, too, are breathing exercises that um, you can do. And the five finger star breathing exercises there and uh, belly breath exercises are there. So there's a lot of resources out there and I'm happy to share what I know.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. Wow. Well, I so appreciate you and you taking the time to, to share with all of us about this practice of mindfulness and Reiki and just keep on doing this amazing work in the world. It's, uh, it's infectious. So, Thanks for being here on the podcast and I look forward to some updates as uh, as that audio read along book comes out and we'll we'll keep people informed as well.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: All right, well, that concludes another episode of Let's Connect. And I hope you're feeling as inspired as I am after that conversation with Carla. Make sure to pick up her book, It Starts With a Breath. And I also wanted to let you know just before we sign off about a program that I designed with um, Charlotte Jackson, who's also a school teacher. We created a 20-module program online called Pono Life Schools, and it's um, a program that helps uh, integrate mindfulness into children's lives. It's designed for teachers or parents to bring more mindfulness practice formally into the day with their children. So please check that out at ponolifeschools.com as well. And uh, until next time, everybody, have a wonderful week ahead, and I look forward to you joining me on the next episode of Let's Connect.